you're living in a community, in a town, you know, in a building. And if you don't try to make it better, your life won't get better. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and dynamic than foreigners expect. So let's change the stereotypes. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people from all backgrounds. The goal is to build the great reputation of Ukraine all over the world and to break the stereotypes so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, hear the voices of Ukrainians, visit the country and invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help liquidate the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me, and even though he struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life, he always told me so many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then, from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I couldn't return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19, so this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast now is ranked number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine, top 100 travel podcasts in France, Switzerland, Hong Kong, and Ireland. Top 60 travel podcasts in the United Kingdom, Norway, Denmark, and Japan. Top 50 in Germany, Canada, Italy, Spain, Sweden, Singapore, and Jamaica. Top 25 travel podcasts on Apple Russia. Top 15 on Apple Poland, Latvia, Belarus, and in the Netherlands. And top 10 in Finland, Romania, Cyprus, Thailand, South Korea, Egypt, and the Maldives Islands. So keep supporting this project. More than 110 interesting people participated in this podcast for Ukraine, from the vice president of the Helen Marlin Group, to the vice chancellor of the UGCC, to the Vatican Holy See, to the president of the Erasmus Student Network Kiev, to the president of the World Trade Center Kiev, to the Royal Academy of Science International Trust, to the FLEX program by the American Councils for International Education, to the Klitschko Foundation, to students from Yale, Columbia in New York, Harvard University, the London School of Economics and Political Science, LCC International, the Stockholm School of Economics in Riga, and Minerva Schools at KGI, to the United Nations, to interns at the Ukrainian Parliament and at the Canadian Parliament, to top 1% students in Ukraine, to Ukrainian YouTube influencers, but not only those. This podcast also features everyday, normal Ukrainians 
sharing their stories, simple lives, and voices with the world. Because I wish to give every Ukrainian from all backgrounds the opportunity to participate in this project for Ukraine. Now, our next goal is to interview 150 Ukrainians on this podcast. So if you wish to learn more about this project or to send me a message, go to the Instagram aziz.future. My guest today is Denis Ganja from the Kharkiv National University to be in a project manager at CFC Big Ideas to a young European ambassador at EU Neighborhood and Enlargement. Denis is now an analyst at Civita, the leading management consultancy from Central Eastern Europe. Civita challenges the traditional management consulting industry, providing high-quality, fact-based, and analytically rigorous consulting services to all clients. Dennis is also the founder of public diplomacy platform NGO, conducting workshops, trainings, and debates related to diplomacy and communication. Dennis, how are you today? Hello, Aziz. Yeah, it's great to hear you. It's great to be here with you and be in the list of those 150 Ukrainians to participate in your wonderful project. Uh, I'm really great staying here in a rather uh, windy and cold Kharkiv. And also today is the happy, it's International Women's Day. So we should also probably congratulate our uh, great uh, girls, women, and all of those who supported us for these years. Probably they will hear this podcast a bit late, but still, uh, we should mention this. Yes, and since the beginning of the month, I have been publishing interviews with women, and even today, three, which is International Women's Day, to celebrate them. And then we will return to a more balanced of both types of genders. And so, yes, happy International Women's Day to all women in the world. And Dennis, to ask you something that will show more of who you are as a person, what is the story that made you become the person you are today? And maybe some moments that really gave you lessons about who to be in life to be who you are now. Uh, thank you, Aziz. So really, I would begin the time from the small town uh, in Kharkiv region which is rather near to Russia and Donbass. Uh, so I grew up in this, you know, atmosphere. Then all of the events uh, began of Maidan, of the war, of the annexation of Crimea. Uh, and still, uh, I have decided to join the International Relations Faculty in Kharkiv. Uh, but before joining it, I was really dreaming of leaving my country. I dreamt of studying in Germany, Czech Republic, Poland, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, after some uh, even months of uh, being a student, I really understood that there is something uh, really important, something special about Ukrainians, that we have a nice public sector, uh, that we have a lot of civic activists who care about their country. Uh, and for the first time, I participated in a seminar uh, which was conducted by the EU delegation to Ukraine. Uh, and after that, I understood that I want to stay in my country and do something meaningful. And speaking about my story, so I am the, just a very young guy who is still uh, doing his bachelor's here in Kharkiv. Uh, I do run an NGO. I founded it two years ago. Uh, and I also work for consultancy, making some very important public projects. 
but speaking about the lessons which I learned that uh, the most important thing is to love what you're doing. And also I'm some kind of the patriotic egoist. Uh, so I will explain this. Uh, so I try to do whatever I want to improve the community around me for me and my friends and my closest people to live better here in Kharkiv, in Ukraine. So this is what I am. Thank you. And that's really reflected in the science of systems and system theory, that the better you improve the larger system, the more ability to prosper will the smaller systems within it will have, which means, of course, if you improve your community, everyone, including you, the rising tide will rise and float all boats. And then to ask you, even further, because many people mentioned what attracts them to being participants in the development of Ukraine is like even some said, after Maidan, Ukraine is more of a baby that can grow in any way, which means that any impact you have now is really, really big and powerful, and you can see big results that will change the trajectory of the country. Well, if you did the same thing in London or in the US or anywhere else that is much more further in its development, you can do the same work, but it won't even make 0.1% of a difference. And therefore, that ability to make a huge lasting impact is what kept them in Ukraine. Is this something relevant for you? Is this a thought you had? Or what did you think that even further, because you didn't explain even why the deeper reason you stayed in Ukraine rather than going to Germany? Yes, you said you attended that workshop. And yes, you said that you can help more, but you didn't explain the deeper reason. I'm suggesting one. Is this relevant for you or do you have another one? Um, you know, as it is a very interesting question and speaking about the deeper reason, I would like really to say that I truly love the people here because, you know, when you're going to another country, another community, you're still like an alien here. Uh, you still need to adapt to the rules. Uh, you're still not as well accepted uh, as the native. This is the truth, unfortunately. And I really like, you know, it's hard to explain the love. Yeah, it may sound at some point something unrealistic, something like populistic, I don't know. But it's like truly love to my country, to my community here, because I've been living here for 21 years already. And your uh, what you've said about raising a baby when you're making an impact. So uh, I'm like, this is why I'm staying in Kharkiv. Uh, I had three chances to move to Kiev, which is a big city with enormous opportunities, with enormous partners. Uh, and it's like, you can do whatever you want here. You can be a part of a big story. But here in Kharkiv, which is like, well, the second biggest city of Ukraine, still a lot of things are undeveloped. Uh, the civic society here is struggling uh, for finding its meaning. Uh, the people here, they still don't know a lot of things. And we are hardly tackled by propaganda because we are very close to Donbass and Russia. So, and speaking about myself this is what the podcast probably is about like sharing my story 
I do really think that I can be like, you know, this uh, change maker here. I do have the capacity. I know how to meet great people. I know how to connect people. And I do understand that what I can do here can bring much more impact, not only to my country, not only to my community, to the world, when I will be working somewhere in a nice consultancy, nice IT, somewhere abroad, uh, doing something just for me and myself. And probably I'm speaking more about what I can do and what are my capacities. Thank you. And I noticed you said that the civil society is struggling for meaning in there, while you mentioned early on that you had meaning and you found meaning in staying in Kharkiv and helping the civil society. So can you explain more about how is in that part of Ukraine there is a struggle to find meaning for the NGOs and civil society. And what does it mean for you, meaning on a personal level, that you felt that you found? Uh, so, you know, uh, Kharkiv is rather different uh, from all of the Ukraine. I don't want to separate it, just, you know, that uh, we are here, we have closer connections to the Soviet culture, to the Soviet, uh, you know, principles. And really people here, they are afraid to express their opinion, to express what they really think and to say what they really want here. Because Kharkiv, you know, it struggled a lot from the Holodomor, from the Second World War, the Second. It is one of the, you know, the cities which really the power here changed for many times. And we're still like here in Kharkiv, we are searching in for the meaning of our city, what we are. There is no real strategy in Kharkiv. It said that Kharkiv is the you know, cultural city, but where it is, we don't see it. And this is what I'm trying to say, that uh, we need to find here with civic society, with local politics, with local business, towards what we are moving. Because for years, Kharkiv, you know, it's been uh, ruled by very interesting people. I don't want to speak about politics in this podcast. You know, uh, people here, they were also like between something and they have not developed their own vision of future. And what I'm trying to say with the meaning uh, from my side is that I want to be a part of this ecosystem, which really works nice, which really moves Kharkiv to, towards a big goal, the whole region, and that we, at some point, we don't look at what we had in the past as that we are moving toward future. But Kharkiv still stays in the past a lot, and this is the big problem. Thank you. So if I heard you correctly, Kharkiv is the second largest city in Ukraine. And although it is said that it's the cultural center or city of Ukraine, in reality, there are different factors at play. One, because of the post-Soviet trauma, as Nikita Puz called it, a lot of people in Kharkiv don't feel comfortable to say the truth about what they want and what they desire. Therefore, there is no clear direction. And even the people who are in charge don't have a clear vision for where Kharkiv 
will go or should go. And therefore, there are many people who are a bit lost and overwhelmed trying to pull in different directions. But because all efforts are not crystallized and pointed in one specific goal and vision and direction, it's not really moving forward. And you want to be part of that clarification of that vision for Kharkiv so that there will be unity, alignment, and true progress in moving in a clear direction where people truly wanted and say what they want and know what will happen and work hard towards it. Is this a fair understanding? Sure, sure. You have said it, said it even better than me. Thank you very, very much. And you said that Kharkiv is... Okay, uh, some people were saying that the uh, civil society and NGOs, etc., that is a newer kind of phenomenon in Ukraine at a level that is truly honest and coming from the people and coming from a place of volunteering and true activism. Do you believe this is true? And if so, do you believe there was a model from any other country that inspires a lot the NGOs and the activists in Kharkiv that in a way they think, okay, we want Kharkiv to be, for example, like Singapore or Kharkiv to be like Germany or to have uh, the same kind of laws like the uh, British um, legal system or anything like that, that you believe maybe is an inspiration or even that is not really well developed yet. You know, Aziz, what I would say is that uh, really the Maidan changed uh, the way people here think a lot. Uh, because as, I, as you said, right, the post-Soviet trauma, people didn't really care about what was happening around. They didn't really care about their rights, about the laws. They were just thinking about, this is me, this is my family, so don't touch us, we will do it as we want. And everybody was like fighting for his own interests and not more, not fighting for the public interests. Speaking about the model, I wouldn't say that Ukraine uh, and the whole civic society here, uh, they do have some kind of their own model. Because we are in a rather unique situation because uh, some part of our country was annexated by another country. We have on, on ongoing war here. And what we need uh, to, to do in 2014 is just try to survive. It's just, you know, to gather some important stuff for our army, to get some important stuff for our businesses, for people here, because our economy failed and many systems here failed. So I don't, I don't really recall any of the history of the same countries, maybe Georgia, maybe Moldova, but still in Ukraine, the reaction was so enormous that everywhere in 2014 you can see small Ukrainian flags on, on the bags, on the telephones, on laptops, they were everywhere. But as for now, uh, I would say that Ukrainian civil society is really overwhelmed uh, with the grants and support from uh, the international institutions. Some grants, uh, some NGOs, they have become so-called grant eaters. They are doing uh, some things just, you know, to receive money and to, to get the continuation of their contracts and nothing more. 
So our civic society now is at this point, then we need to rethink on what we are doing and how to make our actions sustainable. And this is what we are really trying to get here in Kharkiv because civil society here is at the very bad level because of the toxic political situation. Not many donors have come here. And we need, you know, to find how to do this right, how to make people believe that politics are important, that civic activism is important, that I'm not just, you know, some freak who is trying uh, to shout something, that I'm doing really something meaningful. Meaningful. People are a bit shy, you know, of being visible of being public uh they usually say don't write this on facebook don't post this this is just politics don't go into them but we should and this is what i'm trying to say here that uh at some point civic society needs to find some new pillars on which it will be built here in ukraine because we need to make civic activism more sustainable that it will stay no matter what, that we have support from international organizations or from our government, that we can do this by our own and we are not ashamed of doing something by gathering together some nice people, getting in teams, promoting some ideas. I hope I answered your question, really. Thank you. So what I heard is this. There is a situation in Ukraine and specifically in Kharkiv because of the war the annexation, the uh, failure of the economic system and many other factors that make it so people are thinking, okay, selfishly, only me, I don't care what happens to other people as long as me and my family are okay. And they don't want to be involved in politics because they think either it's a waste or dangerous or they think some NGOs are only breadwinners doing it for to make some money and there are not even enough donors, even if they were doing it that way. And therefore, people are shy and they look at those who have real ideas, who are trying to gather people in order to create change as freaks who are yelling something. But the truth is there needs to be new beliefs and new pillars for the civic society as an integral part of the development of Ukraine, where people feel their actions matter, that they will make a difference, and that their voices will be heard, and that when they gather together around great ideas, those ideas can become real and change life for the community, which will also change life for themselves. And this is something important, and there isn't even a clear vision right now that will inspire and pull people towards it. And true leadership begins with a vision. And therefore, without a vision, there is just dispersity and uh, all the efforts are going into directions where they get lost because they're not aligned around one vision. Is this correct? Yeah, sure, sure. As I have said, you're saying this even better than me. Thank you. And to uh, speak specifically about the NGO you started, what is different about it? What values and beliefs does it embody? What kind of specific obstacles did you face? And what are your plans for it going forward? 
So speaking about the public diplomacy platform, uh, I would just uh, like do a short introduction into history. So two years ago, um, me and some of my friends, uh, we gathered together and understood that we need to do something. Uh, that there is some need of us to create some kind of the team, some kind of the brand under which we can continue our doings. Uh, and together with some professors of our university, we have started an NGO, uh, which was firstly only just a student NGO, which was only doing some events in uh, the Kharkiv National University. Uh, but after a year of uh, such, you know, small doings uh, in our university with just gathering small groups of people, uh, we found some new meaning that we can uh, change uh, the thoughts of youth uh, globally at some point. Uh, as for now, we are doing the Youth Lubin Triangle. This is the initiative which unites uh, young people from four countries, from Belarus, Lithuania, Poland, and Ukraine. We are doing this uh, with, uh, at some point, support of uh, national youth councils of four countries and trying to get attention from the ministries of foreign affairs and the governments. We are also doing diplomacy talks, which is, uh, you know, some kind of webinars where we host uh, events with the former ministers of foreign affairs from United Kingdom, United States, Denmark, from any country which you can imagine. And we are covering now more than 40 countries with our doings. And why we differ? Because first of all, we are like 100% of us are volunteers. We do not really receive money for what we are doing. We have just won several grants to conduct the projects, not to do the salary thing. Uh, we are very transparent. We also try to, you know, we have partners not among diplomatic organizations. We have partners among cultural hubs, event hubs, some foundations, some pop stars. We are trying to reach uh, as many people as we want and uh, to spread the word of public diplomacy, which is like we try to make diplomacy easier for young people here in eastern Ukraine. We give them the tools, we give them uh, the explanations of what is the European Union, what is NATO, what is United Nations, how they work, why the stereotypes about the European Union are wrong. One of our biggest projects is that we have gone to the smallest cities and towns of the Kharkiv region and conducted some trainings with people, with local mayors, with local government officials, and had a dialogue with them about European Union and how it works. So what we are really trying to do is to become an NGO which can be a contact point for anybody to receive attention from the international organizations, other countries. How can, for instance, business can uh, reach the Ukrainian embassy somewhere? We are trying to be the connectors of people and also uh, show that public activism can be at some point at fashion. So we are trying to do a nice picture of our intro. So this is okay to be a public activist. This is okay to do volunteer job. And this is really, this is how we do. And now there are 36 people who are in public diplomacy platform. 
we have maybe 5,000 people who have visited our events. We have tens of partners in Europe, in United Kingdom. And we are now trying even to network with organizations which have like 100,000 of people uh, of their followers. This is what we are really trying to do to show to the people, first of all, of our university with that without funds, but with just good ideas, you can do something meaningful. And this is not very hard. You just need to dedicate yourself a bit. You just need to try. And even if you fail, there is no problem with that. You are still trying because it's better to try than not to try. This is like basic. Yes. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And not trying is the same as failure, but trying has a chance of making a real difference. So if I understood correctly, that's even the deeper goal. It's not what you are doing with your ideas and with the change you're trying, but to make it fashionable to be an activist in the civic society so that more NGOs begin, more people, even without funds, will work even harder to bring their ideas to fruition and the ideas together will cross over, over and mix into a vision for the country. And therefore, it's you being a role model, not you as a person, but the whole NGO being a role model for the awakening and the enlightenment and the awakening again of the civic society in Kharkiv and in that part of Ukraine and in all of Ukraine, because if you can do it with low resources and with all those difficulties, then it's an inspiration for anyone in Kiev or anywhere else to work even harder because they have an easier possibility to create the change they want. So they have no excuses. Is this a correct understanding? Aziz, I would say one more time, you're saying this even better than me and rather surely than me. No, thank you very much. It all comes from the, your thoughts and your brain. So what you say is highly valuable and very, very important. And as they say in marketing, even the marketing of nonprofit, that there seems to be a kind of person who is easier or more likely to join and be motivated to be part of your NGO than others without describing anything that could be not good because I don't know about the situation in Kharkiv or the politics. But when it comes to values and beliefs, what kind of people seem to be to get it easier? When they hear about what they what you do, they think, wow, that's for me. I want to be part of that. I want to go there. Can you share about that, the beliefs, the kind of people who seem to be most highly motivated to become civic activists in Kharkiv? I would say that these are the people uh, who are not from this, you know, uh, Soviet tra trauma thinking. Because mostly, I would say that people from Kharkiv, they're close. I have said it for several times in this podcast already. People who are open-minded, that are open to new ideas, that feel the strong need of democracy, that feel the strong need that there must be justice, they usually go for civic activism here in Kharkiv. People who really, you know, 
maybe they have seen more of the world. Because, you know, in Ukraine, for ordinary people from small towns, it's hard to go abroad. It's hard to love this because the series are not very big. And mostly people, I would say, even, uh, you know, uh, we have such kind of a situation that a lot of people who are mostly, you know, from the privileged families, they join civic activism at some point because they do understand what you said in the beginning that, you know, the opportunities must be bigger and I will get more from that. So speaking about their use, uh, they have changed a lot since Maidan. And uh, we really want to decide ourselves what is right. We really want, you know, this reform of decentralization which happened in Ukraine. It's really great that it is like upgoing because people must take power. Because while there was Soviet Union, people were told for which party they should vote, vote where they should get their education, where they should work. They were told everything. The truth was monopolized by one party, by, by some group of people. And now we need pluralism. We need, you know, this like exchange of ideas. We need networking. It's very low developed here in Kharkiv. We need to network all those people who have like the need for democracy, for the real democracy. And these are mostly the people who, you know, who read a lot of literature, who read a lot of books, who don't close their mind on one thinking. These are mostly the civic activists here in Kharkiv. And this is, I was mostly saying about the members of the NGO of the public diplomacy platform. Thank you. And that is absolutely great. So to go even deeper, okay. About you, during these two years, was there a specific event or a workshop or a way to raise awareness or a month that got you the most results when it comes to getting new people to be aware and to join the NGO? Because what happens also with many NGOs is they do something, it works really well, and then they think, okay, let's begin the next project. But in reality, most NGOs who grow, they find that one thing, and then they will focus 50% of their resources on doing more of the same exact thing. And the 50% is to try new projects rather than leaving everything and moving on, which happens to NGOs who stay small. So to you, was there even like a pamphlet or a book you wrote or a video that was something popular everyone comes to you and say oh i read that article or oh i read that i watched that video or whoa this workshop was so interesting that more people than you thought will come came and people were outside the door hoping to enter but there was no space or anything that was really wildly successful during these two years maybe you can speak about that the idea that was behind that so people here now, maybe they will get excited. And I will recommend, of course, that you repeat it again and again and again and do more so you grow. Um, thank you, Aziz. It's really a nice question. Uh, so uh, my story starts uh, when the uh, you know COVID-19 pandemic started. 
and we all got to our computers. And all those NGOs who previously had big offices, big hubs, big uh, events, uh, a lot of money to organize an event, they were just the same as us because we had the premium Zoom account and they had. So now that we were on the same ground, this is what the, the content really matters. And we have created this project, Diplomacy Talks, uh, where we invited uh, the former ministers uh, of foreign affairs uh, from different countries. We invited some great people, for instance, Simon Enholt, who created the terminology of national branding. We have invited David Lidington, who should have been the next prime minister of the United Kingdom, but uh, refused to try this opportunity. And this project really, you know, it brought a lot of attention to us because the idea was really easy because, you know, everybody doing some talks. This is not the new format. But uh, when we tried and when we were try looking for partners to support us, one organization uh, have told to us, there is no way that some kind of a minister will respond to your email. Uh, don't focus on this. Nobody will read this. And after we just sent the first 10 emails, we got two responses from the foreign minister, uh, from former minister from Greece and Estonia. And the project was like a great success. We got attention from 40 countries. Uh, we partnered with more than 12 organizations uh, for our events. We are now doing events with uh, not former diplomats, but active diplomats who are spokesperson at the European Parliament, for instance. Or next week, we will have a diplomacy talks with the EU Commissioner for Environment and Ocean. So this was like our, you know, big idea that we really gained a lot of attention from many people. And now when I'm communicating with some new organizations, they said, oh, you're the ones who have done the diplomacy talks. So this was like, nobody really believed in us at first. We just, you know, tried. We wrote those emails. We got several responses. And the project is still ongoing. We have conducted more than 20 webinars with really top officials from diplomacy. And we are still the small organization from Kharkiv, Ukraine. We are not very highly recognizable abroad. We are just, you know, an NGO with a small website with not a lot of followers on Facebook or Instagram. But still, people are responding, people are interested, and this is what we have done. And because of that, a lot of people really joined us. And uh, within last year, we have grown from 20 people to 36. So this was like the result. Thank you. And so two things, because that's great news, and I'm happy to support you and encourage you even more. Can you do more of those diplomacy talks? That's one. But even more importantly, since the deeper reason you have is to awaken the civic society, can you turn that into some kind of uh, low budget, but it's a documentary that shows the hero's story of a little NGO who tried and succeeded and is now making a difference and speaking to really great and famous and 
active officials, etc., to inspire. So the goal is to inspire other NGOs who might have thought like you. Maybe you even have a dramatic scene where they tell you guys, no, it's not possible, stop this, nobody will answer. And then the also your way to getting recognized and being a an active and a position partner or a an NGO that has weight in Kharkiv. So maybe it can be a model and inspiration and a story because stories really are what inspires people much more than workshops and talks, which they are useful for developing skills. But if people don't believe, like you said, if they're closed, if they have that uh, post-Soviet trauma, all the skills in the world won't help them because they won't even use them or listen. So is it possible to do more of the diplomacy talks? That's one. And the second, to make some kind of documentary or story or a video about your journey of creating that diplomacy talks and believing when nobody believed and showing that there is much more possible for Ukrainian civic society and NGOs than other people expect. Thank you, Aziz. So really, as we are speaking right now on the 8th of March, uh, in two days, we will have a diplomacy talks. In nine days, we will have another diplomacy talks. So we are willing to continue doing this project because it's like a big success for us. And speaking about the documentary, it's really a nice idea. I think uh, I will discuss it with my team and I will try to make them support me and probably got some credits for you for this nice idea, because this is really what we haven't thought about. Thank you very much. And I think you're doing really great work. So even more as a person who cares about Ukraine, about being an activist and about developing and changing your country, if there is an advice or an awakening or something that you can share with the listeners, maybe some Ukrainians are listening, maybe some from Kharkiv, and you would like to tell them something, what would you share that maybe will touch their heart and give them that excited, enthusiastic feeling about getting involved? You know, what I'm always saying to most of the students or the participants of our events is that at some point you need to be an egoist. But not like uh, this one who is not caring about everything around. No, you should be a patriotic against. Because imagine that you're living in a community, in a town, you know, in a building. And if you don't try to make it better, your life won't get better. If you are not uh, giving yourself, you know, to go into vote, to participate in local projects, to promote your city, your community, it will not get better. Because the more you're doing for yourself as a part of the community, the better the community gets, the better your life gets. And this is like the basic what I'm trying to say to everybody, what is the point of living somewhere, try to find a better life than you are 
really able to make the life better here. You said a very nice word that Ukraine is some kind of a baby. And now we can build the society in which our probably children will live. And imagine how much can we do if we gather all our potential, if we really stick together and make Ukraine better. Why not? Why not to try? Because it's much more interesting when you have the place for some experiments, you have the place to do something, you have people who will surely support you, and you're still not trying. Why? And also, my last advice, which I'm always trying to say to everybody, that you should ask yourself at least five times why I'm doing this. If you have an answer, like on the fifth time, when you're asking, like, why are you still doing this? And if you're answering this for five times, you're doing the right thing. If not, probably stop doing what you're doing. And like, this was the final for me. Thank you, Aziz. Thank you so much. Well, if I understood correctly, are they the five whys from Toyota? where you ask why, why, why to go deeper? Or what did you mean exactly with that one? So I meant that, uh, for instance, uh, why are you doing you know, this podcast? You're answered for the first time. Then you answer, ask yourself, why are you still doing this? You get one more answer. And why are you still doing this? And you know, for, for as many times as you can. Because, you know, then there is just one reason and it's not like very like sure you should probably look deeper. Yes, it's the five whys from uh, Taishin Ono from Toyota. It's a great, great exercise for everything. And I thank you so much. To conclude this, if you can share, where can people get more involved with your NGO where can they find more information? And maybe if they wish to attend the next uh, diplomacy talks, where to go, etc. Uh, I would just probably say that uh, if you want to get in contact with us, just visit our website. It's publicdiplomacyplatform.com. There is the version in Ukrainian and in English, and there you may find our Facebook and Instagram. Or just Google us, like Public Diplomacy Platform, and you will get the result. And just join us. We will be very happy to make diplomacy easier together with you. Thank you very much. I will make sure to write the website in the description. It was my privilege and my pleasure. And Dennis, I thank you very much. Thank you, Aziz.